Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial in Boca Raton, Florida. And this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Also, Tractor Zoom, delivering insights, and the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast, dry shot boots. I got all kinds of stuff to say now, don't I, Sean? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> but I'm not trying to keep my boots to the ground, you know? That's right. Yeah, no kidding, right? There's plenty of stuff going on for that. <laughs> When you uh, uh, just this is this is just uh, unprecedented times. So we are, I mean, however you want to argue it, we're we're more or less in. They keep throwing the word recession around, but we're way more towards a depression than we are uh, recession, just because of there's zero economic growth right now. We're just kind of putting patches on stuff and putting fingers and dikes and those kind of things to keep things uh, afloat. And what we see happening now, and the uh, the World Bank is talking about. Uh, slowing the economy in um, in China and Asia and everywhere else, and it's it's you know it, it, that's what happens when you shut the doors, right? So everyone shuts the doors down, quits doing stuff, and and we see what happens. So yesterday, I was really expecting to see. Um, we were supposed to do this yesterday. I was really expecting to see some kind of big splash in the market with jobs reports coming out and everything else that was going on, and it was really just kind of a. a I mean, the markets went down and I get all that, but it wasn't nothing like I was expecting. So I guess give me your perspective on yesterday and, and kind of what you see happening now with the economy as a whole. Well, I mean, I think everybody knows the numbers are going to be horrific. I think we talked about this last week. You know, right. they're going to be horrific. When you shut the economy down, you know, we're going to have depression-like levels, you know, unemployment claims, unemployment rate, uh, you know, 25% decline in economic activity. I mean, I mean, we, we, we put ourselves there. We purposely have shut everything down. So I think the market made that initial reaction. Stocks and commodities had that swoosh. And now we've pumped this money in to try to, as you said, patch things up um, until hopefully you know, we see the signs where we can begin to reopen things. And then we could have earning uh, you know, economic growth up 20%. Later on in the summer, I mean, it's going to be the yin and the yang. Right now, I think the market's accepted horrific numbers, under, feeling or understanding that, you know, hopefully this is just a, a short-term thing, and, the, and they feel the government's probably done enough to stabilize things until we can, you know, get across the bridge a little further. So I think markets have done reacting to things, unless it becomes clear this is going to be more than, you know, another month or so. You know, if it looks like this is going to be... Three more months, and the market probably has more reactions to the downside. But uh, right now, I think the market anticipates off for another month in May. We're going to start to gradually, you know, open things up again. And as long as that continues to be the view, markets are probably going to chop around instead of continuing to fall like they were. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a uh, God. There's just some that it's just it's just a weird feeling out there, right? So Trump comes up over the weekend and says, you know, we're going to keep this. Uh, not social dis- social distancing thing and, and limiting the number of people that we can see in the whole hotel or the restaurants and bars thing and 
and just trying to keep as many people away from other people as possible because right now the United States is the epicenter of the, of the COVID-19 uh, situation. Um, last night before I went home, this is, a, this is Tuesday morning, about 7 o'clock last night before I went home from the office, there was 160,020 cases in the U.S. Um, Scott's Bluff got its first case here um, over the weekend. So, I mean, it's, it's getting into places where most people thought it wouldn't get, you know, so it shows you the, uh, the ability for it to spread. So that didn't help anything. Um, and so as you take a look, as there's a couple reports coming out today, you got the, the perspective planning report and you got the quarterly grain stock report coming out at 11 o'clock. Um, so the perspective planning is going to start laying out what folks are going to start planting for the year. You know, how many acres of soybeans, how many acres of corn, wheat, so on and so forth. All the fun stuff that we see happening there. What's your thought on that? Is there going to be a big switch between corn and soybeans this year, or is there going to be, um, you know, wheat acres that are going to come into play? I, mean, I guess what's your what's your thought? What's your feel for what's going to happen out there? The problem with this report is: is it relevant? Well, um, last year, when it flooded, it wasn't very relative. <laughs> I mean, so much has happened, uh, you know, since the survey was taken, right? And so much continues to happen. That is it really a relevant report? I mean, can we really even rely on it being at all accurate given what continues to be a, a rapidly changing cotton price is now in the, at 50 cents? I mean, mm -hmm. that wasn't the case a month. You know, it, it's, I, it's hard for me to imagine that the market's going to take the acreage report seriously today. I mean, yeah, there could be a short-term reaction, but I, I don't really think that the market's going to take this report seriously. They're just going to continue to monitor what's going on on a daily basis and, and, and make their conclusions from there. So I'm not anticipating that the eggs report is going to be a, a market mover. Now the quarterly grain stocks can always be a market mover. Um, I've always felt and, and history suggests that late planted, late developing, wet crops, crops sitting out in the field like we had last year, the big adjustments are made during quarterly grain stocks report. That's how the USDA gets the number right. I mean, they're wrong, and then they quietly say, oh, by the way, it's not our fault, we just can't find it. Um, <laughs> and, and, then, and, then, and then they correct everything. Right. That's, That's what they nice. do. That's, That's what they do. convenient. Now, now, now we do know, yeah. US, we, we do know USDA is a political organization, and I don't know what happened if these discussions happen about what they should or shouldn't say, depending on the circumstances. Normally, the USDA would come clean in the June quarterly grain stocks. That's when they would normally come clean. That's when they would go, there we just can't find 600 bushels of corn. We don't know why, and so there it is. Um, will they be tempted to do something now because of the you know, conditions we're in and the pressure farmers are in? Will they, is, is, could there be some pressure in place that maybe they make a larger adjustment today than they would otherwise be the case? I have no idea, but if they were inclined to tell the truth a little sooner than normal, uh, you know, this might be a report that maybe they, they, they make some larger adjustments downward than, than we would normally expect to see. I'm still going with June being the, the report that I'm expecting to see, or could there be some pressure to maybe help the farmer out, maybe help the market out, show that we just can't find a whole hundreds of millions of bushels of corn soybeans around? It's possible. I've been looking for that report to possibly be the market mover. I don't think the acreage report's going to be taken seriously. Right. This is the same scenario that happened last year. I mean, they, they did this 
uh, the survey and everything, and then lo and behold, we had 40 days and 40 nights of, uh, of rain and pretty well three and a half months of rain. And it, it was the market traded on that all the way through till till the June, July um, time frame. And when we saw that run up when everyone was making that China thing was going to get done then, then, you know, when we saw that 450 corn on the board and it fell off down to where we're, you know, lost a dollar since then. But <clears throat> to your point, I'm right there with you. I mean, the more you sit back and look at this report, the last two or three years especially, it, it's it's not been what what it said it was going to be. And the USDA puts that out and just lives and dies by it and just dies on the hill until they're like, well, you know what? <laughs> we made a mistake. <laughs> you know, I so mean, it's things like that that, that kind of irritate me about that. I agree. I mean, what they say is important. What ultimately happens, I mean, look, uh, the wheat market's attractive. We've had a big mm-hmm. rally, um, scarcity trade, hoarding trade. More, more wheat acres are going to get planted, at least for spring wheat. We know that's going to take place if it can get done. Um, it may not show that in this report, uh, but we're going to get that done. Cotton acres are going to be in crash mode at 50 cents. Mm-hmm. Only the very, very, very best acres in Texas are going to get planted and not much else. I mean, so, so we know that's going to be down. We know rice acres, which compete with cotton quite a bit, are, are going to be up. Um, you know, soybeans had hung in there relative to corn and cotton. So, you know, we think they're going to gain acres, although I don't, we don't think that's going to show up in this report. So, once again, this report I don't think is valid to where prices are today. And we think the market is just going to, you know, an algorithm may trade it for an hour or two, but I think the market's going to quickly look at the comparative economics and say, What's really going to get done, and then of course we watch weather. You know, what can get done? What areas are getting it done? And, and then we, we take our cues from there. So, the other thing um, that I think is pretty important is the China. You know, we're watching China. We're watching their unloading of their ships because we know that when they shut down, all the ships got backed up. Nothing was coming in. All the ex- uh, you know the, the imports they were making were, sh- were shut down. But we're watching this on a daily basis, and the, the ships that are waiting for unloading are crashing, meaning they're getting their ships unloaded. They're getting the bottleneck cleaned up. That's very optimistic. That's very positive because that says they're now getting capacity from which they can now start restart their import engine of food. And so we think that the, you know, there could be some surprises. We talked about this last week about you know, watching these Thursday uh, morning weekly export reports for, you know, some increases or some systemic increases in China's imports now that they have kind of cleaned up this bottleneck. And we think that could be what, what might be a, a bigger driver for U.S. ag is that they're going to start to buy U.S. ag at these very cheap prices um, and, and start to fire things up again. So we're, we're thinking that that could be the bigger driver here in the month of April, uh, not exactly this particular report. Yeah, well, I hope you're right because it's uh, there is a plenty of that going on. I mean, it just feels like there's a there's an opportunity out there knocking that um, now that China has um, come back come back into uh, kind of full scale, getting their economy fired back up type of thing. Um, and by the way, you know, you know, the eternal optimist that I am, because uh, that's just how I live my life. But I'm an eternal optimist. You know, we've seen significant reductions in the Italian new cases every day. It's been falling for now about a week. Uh, deaths have been falling. Uh, the growth rates are falling. So it looks like Italy has reached peak. 
and is now coming down. We know that South Korea and China have already done that. Um, and we've actually seen the growth rates of infections in the U.S. slow. It's still growing, but the growth rate is slowing. So these are, these are positive signs that we're getting these rolling peaks, depending upon when the country got it and, 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 the, and the typical pathway that these viruses take, which is kind of two months and the third month we start to peak out. That means that we should expect to see in the month of April, at some point, the U.S. infection rate peak and the growth rate start to fall. And I think psychologically, that doesn't mean that we can get demand going in the month of April. We can't get the economy going that fast. But psychologically, the market sees that. It will start to look out ahead, and, and the optimism, the, the psychological profile will change, and that could be what brings the market up well before the first positive economic numbers we see from the government. That's usually how it happens. And so, so we're optimistic that April could be a very important month for shifting the psychology from gloom and doom, depression, how are we ever going to get through this to, well, we are going to get through this. It's not great, but at least we know that there's, we see light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an uncommon trend. Right. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. So there, there's this April 30th kind of number or date floating out there of, of when we're going to really try to, to jumpstart the, the economy back up and everything else Trump was talking about. A few hundred thousand people are going to die and this, that, and the other thing over the whole thing, which I don't know, take that with a grain of salt, I think. They're, they're building models based on assumption and they're assuming a lot, so... I would just, you know, I'm not saying that they're wrong, but I'm just saying right. this, there's some, there's a lot of assumption built into what's going on there. Time. So it's time, <laughs> yeah, there's like zero fact. They're just guessing 100 percent on what's going like, on. It's like the USDA, lots of assumptions. That's right, exactly right. They're totally assuming. Yeah. All right, so let's fast forward here. So we got April, we'll get through May, then we jump into June. Assuming everything's going like they expect, like we see in the rest of the world on our house. That June time frame has got to be. When that report comes out in June, that's got to be a pretty. There could be some pretty big swings in the market by June, don't you think? Well, we think um, April will be looked back throughout history as the month of infamy. Not to use the, the quote from the 1930s, but I will. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think it will be viewed as the month month of infamy because it'll be when markets bottomed, when the economy bottomed, and when the probably one of the most panicky, fearful times, at least in anyone's uh, memory, uh, started to ease. And right. that means that when we look at June, we're going to be in a full-blown restart of the economy. We're going to be seeing, you know, significant increase in exports, weather problems developing that we see coming. Um, we're going to have a quarterly grain stock support at the end of June. It's likely going to show oh my gosh, where's all the corn that we supposedly <laughs> have? Um, and, we, we, and, and by the way, we don't wish ill will on anybody. But we have to be, you know, our job is to, is to forecast markets. And, and, the, and the virus in South America is going to get worse. They're moving into their fall and winter season. They're going to be moving into the ideal temperatures that cause community spread. They already have it down there. They're already kind of shutting down things there. And, and they actually don't even have a problem yet. We see South America getting into all kinds of trouble uh, over the summer months um, and having increased closures, increased lockdowns. And we think there's going to be a, a, a significant fear factor of them not being able to deliver on their normal export flows coming out of Brazil, especially. 
And that means there's going to be an enormous opportunity as everyone floods to the only country that actually has some inventories lying around that are willing to sell, which is the United States. So we're very optimistic that that scenario of, of exports improving, economy improving, we can't find all this corn in South American supply export uh, disruption issues really offers June, as you just said correctly, mm -hmm. as a potential for an explosive month for um, the yang of the yin, meaning the bullish yang of the right. bearish yin. And, and we think there's going to be some really, really good opportunities, not just opportunities for a higher price, but opportunities to actually sell a price that covers your cost, makes you a paycheck, and, and allows you to pay the bank a little bit of money. We really right. believe that's going to happen, and we're optimistic. So long as you don't have to sell today, if you're going to get a great window here in the summertime, and to be be patient, keep the faith. We don't say this because that's what you want. You actually believe that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm right there with you, man. I think there's going to be some. Assuming that everything doesn't go off the rails and there's some other right. crazy I mean, that thing is that assuming happens. that that April is the last month of, of complete lockdown. That that is the stipulation. Right. Yeah. And to be honest with you, too, with the price of, of oil the way it is, I mean, there's some, there's some, a bit of, um, assuming everything comes back and we come online and everything's humming again, uh, if the price of oil thing doesn't get figured out, that could also be that black swan still that's out there that, uh, that needs to be cleaned up to really get that price up there just because of... <clears throat> Now, that being said, if the economy takes off and runs and there's still cheap energy out there, that's going to be a huge plus. But if, if the economy is, is kind of inching along and the energy price never really changes much, then we're going to have a drag on the economy. So I guess talk about that. What's your, what's your feeling on that one? Well, it, it, when the mm -hmm. global economy fires up as much as they can, which is going to be a whole lot better than it is today. Right. Um, the demand for oil is going to go through the roof from where it is today, which is very low, okay? Um, the, the Saudi Arabia cannot pump enough oil to keep oil at $20 a barrel. They do not have enough oil to do that. They can maybe pump enough oil to keep it at 35 or 40 uh, but they don't have enough oil to keep it down at 20 There's going to be too much demand for it. The stimulus of having that much cheap energy and a rising an economy come firing back on, it, it's just, in our view, it's not possible that they can keep the oil market down at 20 Nor should they want to. I mean, last time I checked, Saudi Arabia doesn't really have any other way of generating money for themselves other than selling oil. Yeah, they're not known for their farming, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> or their uh, technological uh, advancement. So, yeah. um, uh, so it's, it's a short-term geopolitical ploy, um, but we, I don't think anyone should view it as a long-term situation. And if we can get crude oil back to $40 or north of $40, that's not the best, but it will certainly help uh, the oil patch, it will certainly help ethanol prices, and it will take the extreme pressure off of the ethanol industry and at least allay some of the fears about losing every bit of demand for corn for ethanol. Right. And, and so, once again, it's a psychological shift that will take place. Um, at the same time, remember, we actually do want cheap oil and energy to help stimulate the economy when we come out of this. So exactly. I don't think we want $7 bar oil right away. At the same time, we don't want 20 I think somewhere in the middle is probably a good balance, like you said. We want the mm -hmm. oil patch to come back online, but we don't want to kill the consumer that just got hit across the head with a two-by-four. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it'll be. And about the time the economy is humming, the government will be around to uh, give everybody their, their stimulus check. So it's just going to be even better. So I mean, things, it's just going to be 
Plug it along. FedEx is right here. I think mine's coming right now. <laughs> it'll take that long. I mean, here they did this, rush this thing through, and it'll be June before anybody gets any money out of this thing. So it'll be The other thing crazy. that we're following, Casey, and I think it's an important point, um, and it's, I do think it's very telling. We follow uh, the Continuous Commodity Index, which is 17 futures market. We also follow uh, in all, the All Commodity Cash Index, which is just the cash market of commodities. And what we've noticed that since the January peak, um, when we first found out that China had a problem and that we all had a problem, the futures-based commodity index is down 24% from peak to trough. The cash market index is down 8% from peak to trough. So it's saying that the cash market is down, but nowhere down nowhere near as much as the futures market is down. That's a function of the deleveraging, the, the, the highly leveraging that goes on in futures markets. When, you, when a hedge fund borrows money and then goes 10 to 1 on the futures contract, which means he's 51 or 70, and he gets a margin call, he has to sell. He has to liquidate. He has to sell everything. And so I think we're, 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 that, that, we're, that this, just, this significant outperformance to the downside of the futures versus the cash is telling you that the real market, a real buyer and a real seller making a real transaction for a real economic reason are nowhere near as bearish as the futures market that's caught up in a liquidity crisis, a margin call crisis. And whenever we've seen this, and this is not, this is typical, the airline crash, you know, the, um, uh, 1997 currency crisis in Asia, uh, the 1990, when we had the 2000 uh, September 11th tax, we do see this huge disparity between futures and cash. And when it gets as wide as it is today, it's typically very indicative of the futures markets pushing on the string or, or getting pretty close to overdoing it to the downside and having a reversion to the mean where the futures come back up into the real marketplace. We're very optimistic. That's not a, that's not a, a, a short-term day-to-day thing, but it's telling you that we're, we're getting to a point where that... Uh, Breaking away of the real market can't go on forever, and it's gotten so wide that we think that the month of April we'll start to see those two markets coming back together, and that's a positive thing um, that we always like to look at. We call them cash differentials, and they're really, really important during panics. So. Right on. Okay. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Lots of good information there. Plenty of plenty of uh, fat to chew on there. So if uh, folks want to reach out to you and get some information on what you guys are doing over there at Hackett Financial, what's the best way to do it? Our website's the best place at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. All kinds of downloads and podcasts to watch to see if what we do might be of interest to your listeners. Right on. And I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also check out my website, movingironllc.com. And... Uh, check out the Global Ag Network and all the great podcasters out there like the Dryland Farmer Podcast. You hear Brent Carlson on here from time to time, and I'm on his show, the Dryland Farmer Podcast, from time to time as well, along with Landon Nolan. So I guess uh, plenty of stuff to think about here. Let's see how this report goes this week, and, or today, I guess. And then uh, I guess until next time, I'm Casey Seymour with uh, Sean Hackett. Let's go lose some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher 
this year Moving higher